Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Now, today I'm sitting down with Adrian Davidson, Managing Director of Inc. Merchandise and National Board Member of APA, which is the Australasian Promotional Products Association. Welcome, Adrian. Hey, Darren. Thanks for the invitation to, to talk to you. Well, look, you know, I just feel like I'm slumming it. Because, uh, yeah, promotion products, isn't this the trinks and the tricks of uh, marketing? Haven't we slid down from the sort of high-end strategy to, you know, the gifts uh, that are given out to people to make them buy products? The trinkets and trash. Um, Luckily, you've only done it for 45 minutes. I've done it for my whole career because I started my career in advertising in London and now I work in the industry. So it's probably a bigger problem for me. But, um, yes, in terms of perceptions, I think we have. So uh, from my perspective, you know, in an agency, uh, everyone's focused used to be the TV ad. Now it's the big uh, digital idea or the app or something like that. And then almost as an afterthought was promotional items. However, there are certain categories that seem to spend a lot more time and effort getting that part right. Why do you think that is? And uh, look, I'll, I'll pick alcoholic beverages as one. Because I know, you know, everything from eskies to drink coasters to whatever. What is it about promotional items? Or I think you said to me uh, you prefer to call them branded. What so is it? Branded ref- what? I refer to it as branded merchandise mainly for two reasons. The first one is to avoid the embarrassing start to this podcast because I think there is a negative connotation. And I think as an industry, we have ourselves to blame. You know, the moment you mention promotional products, particularly to a marketing person, they think of being hounded each week from promotional companies just trying to sell them stuff. And then the second thing is, you know, it's actually a lot bigger than just promo products. So branded merchandise is a product that's branded. So that could actually be a niche retail product. It could be a licensed uh, product. So I think it's just a better description of the industry. Okay, so we're not talking about just the sort of, you know, the, the junk, are we? Because when you talk about uh, branded merchandise, it actually can be quite uh, sophisticated or even quite valuable, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sadly, we probably are talking about a lot of junk. Uh, you know, we, we, we've got to be real because it's like the 80-20 rule with everything. If you look at a standard promotional product, and where it's used tactively, where it's bought cheaply, there is a lot of junk out there. And that's an issue worth discussing. And and the problem is that situation is getting worse as uh, the the world opens up. It's very easy to buy stuff, uh, you know, from from China direct, from factory direct. However, there are some fantastic examples when you peel back the onion of branded merchandise or products that are just brilliantly executed. And they're not just cheap giveaways. Well, you know, um, I think McDonald's, uh, the Happy Meals and the little plastic toys that they used to uh, produce by the ton, you know, I'm sure there were absolute uh, co- uh, containers coming straight out of China with these little uh, plastic toys to give away with every Happy Meal. And yet there was so much controversy, especially from a group of consumers saying, well, 
this is just basically landfill, isn't it? You know, a lot of these uh, these small toys for kids um, just end up being thrown in the trash. They do, and that's an issue, and you can't escape the fact that that is the case. So I find it interesting that, um, you know, the, and that's been the situation for a long, long time. The thing that excites me is that it's bringing uh, promotional products and, and that to the forefront, maybe a little uncomfortably, uh, but it's like anything. You know, if, if this isn't really adding value and if it's not working and it's, and it's causing harm, uh, it shouldn't be swept under the carpet. So what fascinates me is uh, an example like Cole's uh, Little Shop. Yeah. Um, well, that where, was another one that copped a huge amount of backlash. So you have to ask why a multi-billion dollar company would take that risk. And Coles, you know, we work with them to a certain extent, but they must just have um, PR agency, you know, the lead, they would work with a leading agency. They would know where their brand sits and the sort of activities that they should do to protect their brand, yet they still went ahead with that. So it suggests that the, the, this uh, as a as a marketing uh, technique works? Well, I think, if I remember rightly, the first round worked really well. It actually drove incremental sales and increase in basket size. Because if you remember rightly, the mechanism was you had to spend a minimum amount to actually get your collectible item. I think it's 30 bucks. Yeah. So the, like then the second one was the one that really had the backlash because it was like, okay, maybe it was as much that... Uh, the danger of they're going to start relying on this, that this this obvious consumption was going to be the only way Coles were going to rely on driving sales. And maybe that was the mechanism that got people's backs up. I think it was. I think the biggest thing was the timing because it came around the time that they banned uh, single-use plastic bags. Yeah. So the, the second program, and obviously with a program at that scale, like I'm guessing... That the sort of quantities that they would be distributing would be in the tens of millions. I'm guessing that that's probably a fifty or sixty million dollar investment from from Carl's perspective. And then you've got to look at all the product and line extensions that go with that. Um, so yeah, there, there's no denying that as an industry, um, and you know when you look at scale, there's some significant uh, issues that need to be addressed. There's also a perception, and and I want you to uh, tell me if this is wrong that there isn't a lot of strategy and creativity in the promotions or branded merchandise area, that all the th creative thinking is happening up f further up, you know, in the creative agency or whatever. But in actual fact, is that right or wrong? I think it's right mainly because the reality of the situation is that when, you know, we've been very fortunate enough to be involved in a couple of projects where we've actually been briefed early in the piece by the innovation team or, or, or by an agency. You know, you, you speak to a lot of very high-level uh, marketers and procurement teams and agencies the whole time. I don't think you often hear them saying, well, the most important step is to get our branded merchandise or our promotional product supplier at the table on day one. So I think by definition, at such time that a promotional product or giveaway is part of the, the tactic or part of the campaign, that's the time that we, that we generally join, uh, join the table. And we're, and we're always very excited to be at the table at that stage. So, so you're right, there's not a lot of strategic thinking because um, 
I looked up actually when I was talking about because uh, we have a, a term strategic merchandise marketing, which is really trying to encourage people to be strategic in this area. And I looked up merchandise marketing. It doesn't actually even really exist in, on Wikipedia. There's no content. And funnily enough, I looked. I was looking at books on promotional merchandise marketing or promotional marketing. I think there was one published. I think in 1975, and then the next follow-up book is in the late 80s. So it's not. <laughs> it's not a, a highly uh, sought-after area. So it's a, a category that's ripe for disruption, isn't it? For, yeah. for those for those practitioners. It is. To put the extra mile in. It is. I've got a confession. I probably shouldn't admit this, but I've always said the day that the investment bankers get involved in our industry, we're dead. Because, And it's not being insulting, but if, if you get really smart people, and as I said, a couple of times a year we get in, in a room with the, the planners, with the strategic agencies on a big program, and it's just brilliant because when you've got sharp minds in this space, mm. you can get great results. Well, because I think one of the things is that when you get a piece of branded merchandise that is relevant and yet unexpected, it really has an impact. Like it's sort of, you know, uh, pens, you know, isn't uh, pens, branded pens is like that commodity that so many businesses send out pens with their logo or their brand on it. Mm -hmm. But it's like, well, that just becomes another of hundreds of pens that I get given. You know, it's finding that thing that that is so relevant and yet unexpected. And it comes in, um, it, you must see this, it comes in fashions. Remember when keep cups were suddenly the thing that everyone had? Yeah, and I think that's current at the moment. So you're right, the traditional, um, you know, promotional products, again, looking at the, you know, the Pareto principle and the, and the 80-20, I don't know that we're ever going to escape the 80% of products that are shoved out there because look i would say almost exclusively it's done tactically um it's also uh, it is something that people it's expensive i mean to you know to 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 have a digital impression compared to giving someone a physical product and it's not just the product it's actually distributing it as well so i can understand why people go for a cheap cost-effective option and you know sadly you can buy a pen probably for as little as 20 or 30 cents um yeah so there are some harsh realities, I think, too. So, so you bring up an interesting point there, is that because it's ta- you know, largely tactical, because mm-hmm. it's often not at the lead of the strategy, does that explain why often budgets and pricing is under so much pressure in this category? Yeah, I would say so because um, it is... Um, it is, an, a, you know, when you're giving away a physical product, often to promote a physical product, it, it is just, an, a, you know, potentially a high cost um, thing as, as part of the budget, you know, particularly when you're talking about, uh, I mean, it depends on what your objectives are, if you're wanting to build awareness and get reach. So, for example, we do a lot of activations at major events, so let's say the Australian Open, uh, where, or, or, or at a State of Origin game, and you want to turn the stadium maroon or you want to turn the stadium blue you're talking tens and tens of thousands of something to give away mm-hmm. so if it's a dollar it's going to cost you 50 or 60 thousand if it's 30 cents you know it's going to cost you 20 thousand so there is a there is a there are some physical constraints around that which do drive the price conversation for sure quite naturally because uh, one of the issues would have to be balancing budget with safety wouldn't it 
Well, I think that's the biggest single issue that we face at the moment because um, before we started this podcast, we're chatting about, you know, pyjamas, kids' pyjamas as an example. So one thing we say is that, you know, they products might look the same and take pens or take pyjamas. You, you can pretty much put two visibly identical products on the table, yet one of them could destroy your brand or your reputation and or even cause physical harm or death. And the other one could be completely safe. And from an environmental point of view, one of them could last 10 minutes or probably it's an exaggeration, probably 10 months and the other could last 10 years. Mm. So this is what fascinates me. And what, it's what keeps me working in the industry because there is actually, when you, when you dig deep, there's such, on the surface, it's trinkets and trash. And I actually love it. I, I, I like when I see that level of ignorance or that, that lack of interest in what I do. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time, but I find it quite amusing because for me, every day, um, I get inspired and engaged in actually how much depth there is. Uh, and the big thing for us, we've got the product safety and the product side, but the big issue is the uh, is the, the, the people side and so, where they're made and getting down into tier one, tier two, tier three supply chains. Well, because you're absolutely right, aren't you? You know, so much time and effort goes into making the ad or the outdoor site or, you know, TV ad or outdoor site or whatever, which has Mm. got the brand on it. Mm. But you're working in a category where an advertiser is choosing a product, putting their name on it and almost handing it as a gift to their customers and potential customers. And you're telling me that it's often under very tight cost control or a desire to make that as cheap as possible. And yet, is there consideration for what the residual uh, impression will be from that branded experience? If you give me a gift and it breaks in two weeks, or you give me a gift and I hand it to my child and they choke on it, or you give me a gift and it somehow fails, what does that say about my brand? I think you can destroy brands with that. And I think you can, if you give a... I mean, a dangerous at the, the at the upper end of the spectrum customer experience. That suddenly gets the attention uh, of of um, companies. So, going back to where we started and the question around which brands actually uh, do uh, do this uh, area well, I had to think about that. And it's actually sadly, well, there's two categories, or and they, they might even be in both. There's the brands that have been burnt. And we're talking, I won't name names, but we've worked very extensively with some global brands. And they've actually led us. So they've given us, they've done uh, uh, initiatives, you know, in their global teams uh, where they've had product recalls or they've had safety issues generally around uh, glass or around kids or whatever. And we've worked with those brands often under very difficult conditions (laughs) because Mm -hmm. they still treat our area like a commodity. But the amount of work they've done around compliance, and this is, also been led from a packaging point of view because go twenty go back twenty years you could probably stick something in your microwave and all the inks were migrating into the product or if you put it in a freezer you know so they realised that their packaging they should have a look at because where there's extremes of temperature and then that when they finished with packaging it got onto promotional products because they thought well hold on actually we're giving kids a lunchbox and that's actually going to be in contact with with you know with with food or mouth because mm. uh, yeah in your experience. 
what percentage of manufacturing is coming out of China compared to all other locations, or out of Asia? Let's I would say. say in our space, it's probably over ninety percent. So, so those companies who've been burnt have realised that their brand reputation is at stake, and they've realised actually we've got to we've got to look at this space, and we've got to get it under control. The second area is companies, and it's they've, they, you know annoyingly to people, this stuff works. So the beer companies and the liquor companies. It's like heroin to them because once you're giving away a surfboard or an esky and half of those actually go to the store manager, they can't stop because there'll be a revolt. So so that's you know yeah. the two reasons they do them. But um, I would say that a very, very high percentage comes out of China. We choose to manufacture in China predominantly. And it's not cheap. Again, the thing, a myth is that China's cheap. And again... <clears throat> yeah, look, I think China, like any market, you can get things very cheap but they come with cost uh, corner cutting, or you can get really well manufactured things, but it costs you money to get it well manufactured. You know, there there is so many options in China, isn't there? I mean, so many suppliers, so many manufacturers, uh, and you can see very cheap items, but they usually don't come with the quality. At the same time, Chinese manufacturing can match anyone in the world but it's not going to be as cheap as the cheapest version, is it? A hundred percent. And I think what's blown me away is going, we go to the Canton Fair regularly. I'm not sure if you've been there, but um, I went to the electronic, which is on pretty much for a month, twice a year. And I went to the electronics fair uh, a couple of years ago. And, you know, we, we're used to walking around here looking at the brands, you know, Apple and Samsung, maybe seeing a handful of brands. And I walked into this hall and there would have been 30 or 40 brands which had stands or product ranges which were a Samsung or an Apple. And again, the, the scale and scope of what is manufactured and what can be manufactured in China is, is staggering. So the approach we take, and actually we had an interesting, um, so we, we're either dealing coming, we're, we're dealing people with de- dealing with people that want to see the innovation and the creative and the pretty ideas, which is generally the marketing teams or the agencies, or we're dealing with generally indirect procurement who are more interested in uh, the supply chain and, and cost, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> but we had a situation a couple of years ago where we were supplying a product at quite an extensive, um, quite a, it was quite a large contract, very high profile. It was an annual event. And the tender came up because they're a large organisation. You know, they, they, they had tenders every few years. And we actually put two prices on the table because we said, look, we can I can anticipate what's going to happen. You've gone out to tender, there's three or four suppliers, you're going to see samples of this item that we've been supplying, which, to be honest, you're not really going to be- tell the difference uh, between the two. We're going to give you pricing from our factory, and we've selected this factory, and we've worked with them for the last three years without ever having a quality issue, et cetera, et cetera. And we're going to give you pricing. We're going to go to the market, and we're going to give you the cheapest pricing that we can get, and you choose. And hats off to them. The lower pricing was more in line with the pricing that they were receiving from the market and they ended up sticking with us and actually going with a high price. Because, mm. uh, you know, this is an area I know that's really important to you, Adrian, mm. and uh, I know Inc. Uh, have produ- you've produced a guidelines for this around safety. And uh, when I was looking through it, I saw a great case study for, uh, for Starbucks because remember, there's been that backlash about uh, plastic straws, mm. and Starbucks produced a steel straw, didn't mm. they? Mm. Mm. So that's a good example because, you know, on the surface, um, and we've got to be quite strong with our customers as well. Because if we're told, right, well, we're banning plastic straws 
give us an alternative because we must have straws. Um, the way we approach things is that we we do a risk analysis because who in their right who in who in their right mind would think that a straw could cause death? Yeah. Um, but and that's a real example. And again, because we're putting very large quantities out there, so that's the way that we choose to work. And look, the other thing is the implications as well, because we're sitting here talking about this. Mm. We're not talking about who designed the straw, mm. the metal straw. We're not talking about who fabricated or supplied it. Mm. We're not talking about any of that. We're talking about the brand that actually commissioned and gave this away. Correct. So ultimately, the responsibility, as you say, sits with the brand because it's the brand that will suffer the most damage. And yet if you're going to market buying on price, you're going to get a supply chain there, every step of it, is not going to be focusing necessarily on safety. They're going to be focusing on delivering to price, aren't they? A hundred percent. And I can absolutely guarantee that, you know, when you're buying on price, um, it's actually, there's going to be issues in the supply chain. So as, as a standard procedure, we we basically say that we can buy at this price uh, and we have a very strict and methodical buying process. So we, even with our existing products that we, we buy regularly from existing factories, we get three to five factories who quote. And it's quite amazing when we actually do our homework. I don't think, I'd say that 85% of the time we're not going with the cheapest factory because we've uncovered a reason. So it's really simple. If you have, and I've listened to a couple of your podcasts about benchmarking and, and having low, medium and high, you know, when, when you do benchmark or when you measure, um, when you become an expert in your area, you you, you smell a rat when you mm. see pricing that's, that's too, too cheap. And you yeah. know the damage and you think, okay, well, actually, this is a red flag and now we're onto a risk management issue. So my favourite saying at the moment is, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. It definitely is. Yeah, yeah, because you don't get windfalls like that, you know, just falling out of the sky. No, you don't. And, and that's why I work in this industry. So I started my career working for DDB in London in, in advertising, and then I, I moved over to sort of promotional marketing, and I had five years on the client side. So what got me into the industry was working with Lion Nathan. So they, they were actually, uh, you know, they realised, you know, mm. drinks company, we're spending millions and millions in this area. Why don't we just do it ourselves? Um, so we, we set up an internal... A business um, which they then um, unsold, um, <clears throat> but the I can't quite remember what my point was. But the the point is that um, <clears throat> well, there's there's yeah sorry. So from working with intangibles and creativity, so I've, I've worked for many years on the agency. So I went to client side. I used to struggle so much, uh, you know, because you look at the remuneration model. Uh, we used to have a cost sheet for sales promotions where we'd make you know margin in certain areas no one ever wanted to pay for the creativity or the concept fee so for me what attracted me was actually having a physical product that we could sell and then we make our margin when we're actually delivering that physical product mm. but it, it just fascinates me when you're actually making something just seeing how many elements there are involved and the complexity in that um, now going back to safety it's not enough is it to just meet the safety guidelines because, you know, in Australia we have very strict safety guidelines and in other countries they have different guidelines and some have no guidelines at all. But the example of the, um, the metal straw for Starbucks, I've seen metal straws for sale in Australia. 
So metal straws are clearly not outside of the safety guidelines in Australia. Well, okay. it's funny because we think that we have lots of safety guidelines in, in, in Australia, but it's actually not the case. So it's not illegal to knowingly sell an unsafe product in Australia. So there's actually no over, overarching uh, safety uh, standard, uh, which is a whole separate issue and subject yeah. because that's something that people are pushing yeah. for. So when I started in this industry and we were doing, you know, uh, uh, liquor brands, we were doing things that plugged into the wall. So I've learned over the years, just avoid things that plugged into the wall. So when a beer brand comes to you and say, hey, we want a thousand fridges and you do the numbers and it's a million dollar order, uh, but then actually you realize the standards are, are around electricity or mm. the mandatory standards around kids. So, that, so there's there's probably a few mandatory standards that exist for products. And you're right, straws, metal straws wouldn't even come under it. And no. there's things around food safety, etc. So the longer I've worked in this industry, the, the more complex we've realised that that area is, which is why we're now trying to lead and help educate uh, and inform people around um, some of the areas that, that, that they need to be careful of. So what is the process? If, if there's not, you know, there's minimal guidelines, as you say, what is the process of thinking through the implications for the brand when they come to you or the agency has come to you and they're saying, well, we want something that's going to really knock their socks off. And by the way, we've got a limited budget. How do you come up with something that is safe, minimises risk, but also meets the criteria of what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, well, luckily we've, you know, the longer we work in it, I guess the bigger the portfolio and the deeper the understanding that we have. But um, <clears throat> I think one of the challenges is that why the, the industry has a negative perception because when it, it actually boils down to the, the budget, which might be 10 cents or 20 cents or even a dollar or, or a couple of dollars, um, and the... The, the safety requirements, for example, if you're uh, doing a, a liquor brand, we can't do anything that would appeal to, to kids. Mm -hmm. So we just go through a fairly uh, standard uh, risk uh, assessment process. And then we, you know, the, the creative process, we might come up with 100 ideas, but when you actually put them through that filter, you might have four or five that pop out, which is, and being honest about it, the, the biggest issue, I believe, from market is is opportunity cost mm. because there's low-hanging fruit here because in our experience, we're working on great brands, we're working with smart people, they've got substantial budgets to spend. The amount of times that we're invited to sit down at the table with their creative agency and put everyone in a room together, and it only need be for 30 minutes on a particular project, that's where the, the, the real innovation and creativity comes out. And it might be... It could be a pen, but it could be adapting that in some way. And so, unfortunately, what happens is people revert to off-the-shelf products um, and they revert to doing something uh, which is standard, which is why we generally don't see a lot of innovation. Now, the, a lot of what is seen as promotional items or branded merchandise is things that are given away. Is there a trend or uh, is there an increasing opportunity of actually developing and designing things that become almost like um, a, a product in their own right, you know, something that goes with the product that enhances the brand experience and has such value that consumers are willing to pay for it? Or is it always a promotional giveaway? 
I think we're going to see a shift away from promotional giveaways for the, for the, for the sake of giving them away. I mean, we, we do very little conference items. I mean, I, I cannot stand turning up to a conference and there's a compendium and a, and a pen and, and things that have some utility at that time, but, you know, realistically... The you know, show they're, bag, they're single we call use. it. The show bag, yeah. So yeah. I think, look, there's some big trends happening and I think there's going to be a push away um, from those low-cost uh, giveaways. However, um, if they are responsibly made, if there is an opportunity for them to be recycled, one, one of the big issues I have, I think, is, is with, with the packaging industry. You know, one thing we don't really question is is the huge amount of packaging that is produced. And particularly with online, my kids, have, my daughter's bought a couple of things online and I've almost fallen over when I've seen the cost and the extent and the complexity of the packaging that comes with it. Mm. Um, so I think um, there's other industries that need to be accountable. Uh, from our perspective, the 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 frustrating thing is that, that this really works. So, um, you know, the moment that you put uh, a brand, it cracks me up if you go to Waratahs game and you've got, uh, you know, doctors and lawyers and a higher socioeconomic group, you get a couple of the Wallabies players walking around after the game throwing a foam ball that's probably a 30 cent items and they're almost wrestling each other. They probably are. They've had a few drinks. Yeah. So frustratingly, this stuff works. It works People yeah. love tangible products and and again i believe that there's great longevity in this business what has to happen is accountability and scrutiny so i say bring it on if we if we get drawn into uh, a, a large organization and we're you know sitting in front of their quality team and their procurement team so on a couple of projects recently we've actually uh, they've been global projects we've been in the factory in china with the european quality team, complete transparency. And we walk around together and we say, look, that's right, that's wrong. And that collaborative approach and and that change is is really refreshing. That's what motivates me. Because Adrian, what I'm getting out of this conversation is that you're really almost a manufacturing outsourcing function, aren't you? You are manufacturing branded products. A hundred percent. So we're we're a service. We're a service provider. We're not, we're not we don't have existing products that we sell. Uh, and, you know, we're an agent. And again, I'd love to pretend otherwise. I'd like to say, no, we've got IP, you know, we're completely different to anybody else, but that, that, that's exactly it. So what we try and do is inform and educate and, and influence. I think the, the interesting thing, and I've listened to a couple of your podcasts around some of the challenges in, in procurement and around uh, the lack of knowledge, and there's one really interesting thing uh, where they're talking about the marketing team actually spending time in the procurement team and sharing that knowledge and that information. What we, we've realised is that, and particularly with agencies, because uh, I, I can say I worked for an ad agency myself. I think I was a, an, an, an ad snob, you know. Uh, and these were the days of above the line and below the line. So the thought of going below the line was was a, a career slide. Yeah. Um, but it, it's actually, I think people are a little embarrassed to say we don't know. So what's amazing is when we work with clients and customers for a number of years where those the, 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 the barriers come down and they say, look, um, what, how does it work in the factory or how do we actually do this? And once there's that trust and that relationship. So the approach I realised we should take now is actually just share it and say, look, here it is, this is how we work, rather than being worried about our competitors stealing it or there being any great secrets because... Um, taking 
Button batteries, as an example, there are mm-hmm. a few really, really serious indis- uh, issues, potential issues where this stuff needs to be discussed. And beyond manufacturing and the safety of manufacturing, mm-hmm. there's also the increasing responsibilities around supply chain management. And, and so I imagine a- acting as an agent in a way for ma- to, to go and source manufacturing, you'd also have to be incredibly aware of all of the issues in managing supply chain. What I'm talking about is, you know, environmental sustainability, end-to-end impacts of from manufacturing to disposal. You'd have to be, uh, you know, slavery uh, and working conditions. And all of these would have to be part of the consideration, wouldn't they? 100%. And interestingly, um, and it's a very complex and, and deep Incredibly area. complex. And there's legislation around there now. So the modern slavery uh, reporting requirements are bringing that to the surface. Uh, and as I said, I say, I say bring it on because when when we look at the people um, that are producing these products, um, there has to be transparency and accountability. And once you, the encouraging thing is once you start talking about the sort of products and the brands that we work with, the promotional products the industry, even though on the surface is putting lots of trinkets and trash out there. When you actually look at the fashion industry or even the fishing industry, um, we're actually uh, pretty, um, I think we score quite highly because again, China is, there's very little child labor in China, Mm. for example. So I've realized actually going down that journey that we should be proud of what we do and and, uh, we we, we actually rate quite highly. Because generally a lot of those issues around jobs that are, you know, uh, dirty, uh, you know, difficult or, or distance, you know, so modern slavery risks uh, where you've got, uh, you know, uh, low paid uh, people on a fishing boat out in the oceans with no visibility doing a dirty job, you know, mm. that's where there's massive issues. Fashion, where you can have home workers uh, in countries like, you know, Bangladesh, etc. So luckily in our industry, in the marketing industry, there are risks, but actually there's some good news mm-hmm. because... You know, you walk through China, most factories are new and modern and things are done really properly. Now, you did mention earlier, Adrian, that your two main groups of clients are either sort of marketers and agencies and direct procurement people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is there a difference in their awareness of the supply chain issues between the two? I'd imagine procurement people would be all over the requirement to have a clean supply chain more so than agencies or marketers, or am I wrong? Look, I think it actually comes down to uh, the individual. That's my observation. So certainly in their roles, and this also comes down to what they're measured on. So um, I think we're playing a long game here uh, because I've had a couple of quite staggering experiences in, in my career and a number of years ago. And one, one was in particular where we're dealing with a, a buyer, you know, in a procurement area where we, just through experience we'd have with a, another uh, business, we actually were uh, supplying a product at a very high quantity. And we said, well, look, the, 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 the standard here, the global standard for this particular material is that it would be non, in this case, it was PVC. And actually they said to us, we don't care about that. It's just about price. And the reason I realised that came from, uh, where that came from, was that it wasn't a KPI uh, right. for them, so they weren't measured on that. So, you know, we're all busy. We've got kids, we've families, we've got jobs. So my observation there is, and this is where, frustratingly, this has to come from the top down 
and, and where it does. So, you know, again, the companies are doing this well are the companies that are being caught out. The moment that at that sea level, a really senior level, that it, it comes down and they say, these are your KPIs now, if we have a product recall or this is our corporate policy and it is going to be enforced. Um, yeah, that's where that change happens. And I will name names, actually, because the, one of all the businesses that we've worked with, Twinings, um, are amazing. So we're actually not able to work with a local supplier. So we, they're, they're doing this at a global level. It's probably a bit easier for them because they're, they're, you know, they might have a handful of, handful of offices around the world. But if they go to source 50 umbrellas uh, from a local supplier, we have to do an SAQ, which is self-assessment questionnaire, which uh, even for the, uh, the supplier in, in Australia uh, that goes through the really detailed areas uh, to get them signed off. And if they're not signed off, they're told that they can't buy this product. Yeah. It's, it's mm. fascinating because, you know, these are huge issues for mm-hmm. corporations. You know, the risk management that occurs within large corporations and to see that it filters all, and the impact that that has all the way down to sourcing uh, you know, trash and trinkets, branded merchandise, mm-hmm. you, know, you would think it sh- should be essential anyway because anything your brand is on, mm-hmm. you should ensure that it meets the, you know, the, at least the minimum standards, if not the highest possible standards. It should. And I can tell you what, when it does hit their table, it gets their attention. So I, I had a phone call at nine o'clock one evening about four or five years ago from the head is from the, the, the head of legal for this particular organization. And they said, you've just produced X, you have to stop distribution, they have to be recalled. We've had a consumer who has put on in this instance, it was a garment, and they've their their son has gone into anaphylactic shock. Wow. So this had hit the top straight away, hence them even having my mobile number. Yeah. So, and the, the really good thing was that I knew that um, it wasn't the case. So we, we did, we put a hold on everything. We went back, we went to the factory and they could actually produce the Oak Techs testing certificates, et cetera. So luckily because of the process that we follow, uh, you can't cause anaphylactic shock because it, it's a food issue. So we went through the steps, we provided all the documentation and with t-shirts, actually you've got to be re- really careful because there are some hideous chemi- chemicals that they can be bleached with. So there was the potential for there to be some quite serious issues. And sure enough, two or three days, weeks down the track, they said, look, thanks, you know, we've gone through the process, we're, we're satisfied that that isn't the case. But when these instances do occur, businesses get a very quick and robust lesson in where the, the, the what, what their supply chain actually looks like. So from my perspective, it's always so much better to do it up front. But you know, one thing I thought of is, you know, we say that promotional products are low risk. They're not low risk. What I realised is that they're low spend. So there was just about some scrutiny coming into our industry. So in the days of above the line and below the line, it was all media and, you know, and... Yeah. and just as people started to looking at promotional products, digital came along. So, you know, so... I, I think that's the paradox that is mm. really hitting me, that for a category, you know, I started this by saying, you know, felt like I was going into the tail end, the mm. shallow end of the pool. Yeah. But in actual fact, there are, there are so many risks associated with a part of the marketing mm. supply chain that is often crudely an afterthought, but also is under so much pressure for cost. 
And yet you would think that because of the risks associated, you would want to put in place a framework. And I know you guys have, haven't you? I mean, you've done quite a lot of work at Inc. around developing guidelines and processes, one around safety and the other around supply chain. Without blowing your own trumpet, is this an industry-based initiative or is this something that you're leading? No, it's something that we lead. And look, I'd love to blow my own trumpet and I'd love to appear altruistic, but the harsh reality, and again, this 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 is the realisation, the, the more work I was doing in this area, is that um, we've realised that in terms of responsibility, and I've got three teenage kids and I own a business, so what I realised pretty quickly is that if there is a product issue, number one, I could destroy my career. I quite like my clients. I could destroy their career uh, or, their, or their business or the brand that they're working. I mean, take Blackmores. When we started working with Blackmores, they're, they're responsible for tennis. You know, their, their share price, thinking back, that, that brand value was through the roof at the time. This was the time of their brand when their share price was shooting up. And we're putting lots of items out into the market. Now, if there had been a product quality issue, we could have caused massive damage to that. And that was an Asia hack, mm. you know, uh, area. So quite honestly, the reality is that when we bring products into this country and across the border, as a director of the business, if someone is harmed, um, the buck stops with me and the buck stops with us. So it's a necessity for us. Mm. And the thing that is is scaring me at the moment is the lack of understanding that with with people buying direct and and interestingly we talk about marketing procurement and one thing i'm an area i'm fascinated is about measurement and roi because you can't really measure the success of promotional products and you could it's just that no one's really spent any time putting the measures in there i can tell you that 90 percent of the people we talk to don't even even know how much they're spending in this mm. area and if you're talking to a business they, they might actually uncover a spend of many millions mm. they don't know who's buying them um, so so that's why I say we're playing the long game because I reckon I can be sitting in front of you in 10 years and if we've made 50% progress then you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of work to be done so yes we have we've got a product safety framework and we've never had a product recall and we are very very careful about what we do and it's common sense for me if I'm playing the price game and I'm selling cheap products I'm introducing a massive amount of risk into my life if we work with customers that value this and want to pay the, the proper price and we're working with great suppliers, then the, the, the risk is almost negligible. Well, Adrian, uh, we've run out of time. It's a fascinating topic. I absolutely apologise because <laughs> uh, it's certainly more sophisticated and more complex than I came into this conversation. So thank you for sharing that with me. Uh, before we go, though, I've got uh, one question to ask you, and that is, of all of the uh, branded merchandise you've ever produced for your clients, which one is your favourite?